most of us, many of us, maybe all of us do believe that the barriers don't rely on the kids. But we are actually saying, when we're universally designing, mm -hmm. that we have to be the ones to identify those things and remove them for kids. So, so, but I think the actual practice of it, there, there's a lot that's already there and we're just trying to build and expand on. I care for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM radio dial 102.9, here today in the central office of the Franklin School Department, school district, with Superintendent Lucas Jagir and Dr. Tina Rogers and Eric Stark, and we're going to talk curriculum. We're going to talk curriculum today, Steve. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> we're excited. It's, you know, as an academic institution, I can't think of uh, two things more important than teaching and learning. I think it's really the, the basis for all that we do. So we're excited to be here, and I know, um, you know, we're, we're excited to dive into this topic. Absolutely, because clearly, even from a resident perspective, from a parent perspective, kids get on the bus or walk or drive, they go into the doors, and then something happens, and then they come home, and hopefully things have improved along the way, and you see that, but what happens in the doors? That's the teaching and the learning. I mean, there are other aspects, but those are the two key pieces, and as we've talked from time to time, and one of the reasons why we're actually recording this, so people get, okay, well, what else? How, how does that process work? I mean, you do a, a good job in terms of the school committee meetings, you provide the updates, but it's, you know, respectfully a 10, 15 minute piece with some Q&A, Let's take the time and have this opportunity to get a little bit more details. And then clearly people can still go through the normal communication channels and say, hey, I heard you say this. What does that really mean? And that gets us all into a better position as we get into the other, clearly, frankly, budget concerns as well. Because what you do is with the budget is part of how we deliver the teaching learning. How you deliver the teaching learning on our Right, everything supports that. Every every piece of the pie is, is really dedicated to support teaching and learning. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I think about just big picture, just to kind of span out, when we think about our district improvement plan and we think about our strategic objectives, two of our uh, major objectives are around high quality instructional materials and delivering um, high quality instruction that meet the needs of our students. So when right. we think about that, we're talking about not only the delivery of lessons from some phenomenal educators we have in this district, but also providing them with the tools, resources, and materials they need to do that work. And I think we'll hear a little bit more about that, and I, I'd be happy to open that up and kick it over yeah. to Dr. Rogers yeah. to continue that. Yeah, thank you. Sure. Well, thanks for having us, Steve. We're excited to be here. I will say that one of our counterparts, District Dr. Frazier, isn't able to be with us today, but he is an integral part to this whole process and team. Um, and I think you saying, you know, what happens between the school bus picking them up and dropping them off, it is um, why we are here to make sure that we are putting the most high quality curriculum resources in front of these students. And I think that has been one of our primary focuses over the past few years and certainly um, moving into the next few and innately in that is supporting our educators, as Mr. Jagir said, with um, ensuring that they have the time and the resources mm -hmm. to collaborate with one another to be able to deliver that high quality instruction. Um, so we have some, you know, big picture initiatives that have are what that we're working through in the Office of Teaching and Learning. Um, you know, kind of in three major buckets, I would put them is our instructional design. 
so where we talked about implementing, developing high quality curriculum, we want to ensure that every, we have five elementary schools. Right. And so we want to make sure a child that's in a second grade classroom in one school and a second grade classroom in another has access to the same high quality curriculum resources. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really being intentional about bringing teacher voice into that process. Um, around making uh, multi-year implementation plans so that we're not saying we're just going to take on this initiative this year and then move on the next. We're trying to be very intentional around that planning process. Mm -hmm. um, and then also within that planning for that professional time is also the tiered supports because as much as we want to say that 15, 20, 24 students sitting in a classroom can access that instruction, we do know that some students need additional support. So we're, are, we're also working to make sure that we have the people in front of students and the resources that they need to support. Mm -hmm. And as you know, in our last presentation, we showed the roadway. Yes. Uh, remember that with yes. the little you know cul-de-sacs mm -hmm. that came off? The intention is that every student is in that classroom and, and has access to that. Well, and I think the curved aspects of the road gives us a point of entree, too, to let's step back and remember that when were kids going to school, even when our parents were kids going to school, that classroom is not today's classroom. Right. You know, kind of the, if you will, cookie cutter approach where the bus would bring, students would go out, and more of an assembly line routine, everybody got the same thing. One, we can't do that today. Two, the classroom has evolved as well as the instruction and the curriculum to reach people where they are so that they can get the best of it. And I think that's what you're right. trying to get to. Right, right. And I would say, I'll turn it to Eric to, to chime in as well, but what I would say is I think that's a beautiful thing because our kids are coming to us with wide and varied experiences. Yeah. And there's real opportunity for us to learn from one another. As a kid in elementary school, I don't necessarily think that I learned about uh, a variety of cultures or others' experiences that were different from my own. And so we're really taking an opportunity to leverage that, both mm -hmm. teachers in the classroom and building community, but through the curriculum as sure. well. Um, so I think that that's a, a primary focus for us uh, as well in our design. Um, do you want to speak a little bit maybe to our professional learning? We're really working, um, Eric and Tim have done a great deal of work around multi-year professional learning. Um, because as much as we might have some high quality curriculum, we need this to support the teachers in delivering that curriculum. And so we've been very intentional about a multi-year focus. Yeah, so this summer we, in our Office of Teaching and Learning, worked to develop a professional learning model uh, where we think about our teachers having the opportunity to know the why, and we as curriculum leaders are making sure that we're articulating the why um, so that they know what it is, and then they have the opportunity to self-assess and identify for themselves what is it that I um, need to and want to get out of this professional learning. And then there's moments in time for them to um, engage in ongoing aspects of that work and then try something in their classrooms, implement, apply, um, ask for feedback, um, analyze the impact um, of that new learning and make adjustments uh, and then come back to us and be able to share those results and uh, give us information that can help us to drive uh, future choices or offerings uh, in that area. So emphasizing professional learning uh, has been a big uh, focus for us this year and trying to think about what are our goals uh, that we have as an Office of Teaching and Learning and as a district in, in, in our schools and our departments 
in thinking about building a multi-year professional learning plan uh, that, again, moves us uh, toward more opportunities to learn and grow in these areas over time. And, and to piggyback on that a little bit, just as we're doing with curriculum implementation and adoption and bringing mm -hmm. kind of committees of teachers together, I would say that we have spent a lot of time, this year especially, but set the stage last year a bit, around really bringing more teacher voice in and giving our PD committee, which are representatives of uh, our teaching community. The professional development committee? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so we're meeting more frequently, we're analyzing data, we're really trying to be thoughtful in, you know, what questions are we asking on the survey, analyzing that information, mm -hmm. and, and together really trying to plan. Nothing's perfect but trying right. to improve professional development opportunities for teachers. So it's been, it, it's, it's still growing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that feedback loop, having started once upon a time in a teacher role, but then moved into others, the feedback in any position is important. Until you get your review, until you achieve the project, how well are you doing? How do you know? And especially when you're dealing with a classroom, call it 15, 20, 25, if the faces are looking at you with eagerness and ready to go, or if they've got that blank stare, what the heck's going on? Mm -hmm. You need to figure that out. And in some cases, you can have to do it on a one-by-one -one basis because you may have 19 one way, and this one over sure. here, you're going to loop back in somehow. And sure. that's the challenge that you face, the teachers face on a daily basis. Yes, they do. And honestly, that actually is a great segue into our focus on universal design for learning. And we've, again, talked about this at school committee meetings, but right. really the intention there, our focus for this year, well, what I will say is the intention of universal design for learning is saying that the barriers exist within the system for right. a student not being able to access instruction. The barriers don't lie in the child. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's just a belief. So we're working through that kind of common understanding and unpacking that both individually and, you know, as a district. Yeah, and I think to dwell on that, because I think it's appropriate too, that universal design, UDI, that is a mindset change from what I understand from what had been before. So people, both parents, I'm sure, are going to have some adjustment to that. Never mind the teachers who may have been in the room 10, 15 years, and all of a sudden this is kind of the better way to do it. Yeah, well, I, I would agree, but change a little bit of that. Um, that I do, I do think that there's a lot of practices in place mm -hmm. that are universally designed practices. We're already doing a lot of, you know, posting our objectives, that we're, you know, exit tickets for students, how sure. do they engage. There are components of universally designing, and it's not just those things Correct. that are already in place. Yeah. But there, there is, I guess, the mindset part of it is mm -hmm. the harder part, right? Yeah. Because I do think most of us, many of us, maybe all of us, do believe that the barriers don't rely on the kids. But we are actually saying, when we're universally designing, mm -hmm. that we have to be the ones to identify those things and remove them for kids. So, so, but I think the actual practice of it. There's a lot that's already there, and we're just trying to build and expand on. Um, particularly, you hit on, you know, you have 15 kids or 18 kids in front of you, and 17 of them are dead on, and you got one kiddo. Well, that kiddo still deserves absolutely the yeah. same, right? The yep. same access. Sure. Um, and so we're trying to think about that as it relates to UDL, with a real focus on student engagement. Mm -hmm. And naming that for, for ourselves and talking about that as we do learning walks. Um, we've had 
a great opportunity where we put out a, a sample professional practice goal when we launched the year in August with teachers um, to say, you know, we are committing to a multi-year process of universal design for learning. We brought experts in, external experts from outside of Franklin Public Schools for the past two years. We're committed to continuing that work. So we deepen our understanding. And if you want to do that collectively, you know, here's, here's the time we have together. And many educators, even if they haven't adopted that as a professional practice goal, mm -hmm. um, are really, you know, thinking about how they can universally design instruction in their classroom right. to better meet the needs of students. Sure. And I think one aspect of universal design, uh, for the benefit of the listeners as well, I think there's been a lot of focus, justifiably in some cases, in terms of catching the one to make sure that they can come up. But that same approach also deals with, say, some of the students that are on the other end of the scale that may right. be looking to, okay, I know this, but I want to do more. I know this, but I want to do more. So the universal approach covers that spectrum as opposed to just focusing on kind of the middle and the core and the ones who need to catch up. Right. Because right. there's an awful lot of opportunity with those that are kind of the high achievers. They're, they're eager. Let's feed that eagerness. Absolutely. And that's the premise of it. Like every kid gets what they need, you know. Um, and I think something that is so important to note is that something that Franklin educators do really, really well is establish relationships with their students. Yes. And they get to know their students so they know what students need in order to learn. And the shift with UDL now is the recognition of taking what we know about our students and what they need in order to learn and access the um, curriculum and recognizing that what one student needs is good for all kids. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a big shift um, kind of in terms of our thinking is that what we used to do for one kid, we can do for all kids um, to help uh, everyone access the curriculum. Um, so I think that that's helpful to think about uh, too. I do think uh, our last presentation, the Office of Teaching and Learning, yep. we talked a little bit about data. I think that's just another area of focus for part us. Part of that feedback. Part of that feedback loop. Um, I think in that presentation, we talked about MCAS is just one data point. And that I think we, I also emphasize that in the conversation on the chalkboard chat coming out of okay. the school committee meeting with school committee chair Dave Callahan, because that clearly struck me. I mean, having been a in education, following along, I understood that, but I think certainly the media helps, if anything, foster the other set that NCAS is the be all and all, be end all, and it, it's it's not. It's just one piece. No, and we did. We talked about assessment, and those we named two buckets: summative, informative, and it's a lot of educational lingo. I know. But you know there are some summative assessments that we do talk about. We do talk about AP scores. We do talk about unit tests, things like that. That's important information that gives us, at a moment in time, a snapshot of a, a student's um, academic, in this context, um, achievement mm -hmm. related to a certain content area. Um, but I would say, by and large, what our teachers are doing more and more of is talking and thinking about formative assessments in conjunction with that, so their quizzes, their exit tickets, their conversations with kids, the classwork students are doing, the homework that they're handing, and the chapter book that they're reading that they're having conversations about, the the dibbling, the you know reading fluency um, assessments that they're doing with students, and all of those come together to tell us a picture about our student, which is 
one of those other aspects that we're, we're building upon together as a community of educators is how we're utilizing that data because mm -hmm. we need that information to be able to universally the design next, instruction. Uh, panorama tool I think yes. has been referenced a few times yes. and I know it's having been in systems I understand data needs to get in, yeah. it needs to get clean to go in, right. um, and then managed, and there's always a tool and a usability thing about how do we do this, how do we manage right. it, et cetera. So right. all the educators are going through that same process, but the ultimate is at some point that data is going to be certainly in there and accurate and given a better picture akin to, oh, where's Tommy or Sue and wh what do we need to do with them today? Right, right. And again, I would draw back to the multiple data. Right. Yes. So we're, you know, we're pulling in attendance data as well to say, you know, if a student has to be out of school for an extended period of time, mm -hmm. well, that's a barrier, and what are we going to do sure. to make sure that when they are back in or even when they're not in school that we're providing support. Um, so I'd like to just acknowledge Dr. Frazier joined. Welcome. Teams complete. Glad you, Glad you could make it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think to that point around, uh, data analysis, a concrete example uh, that we can point to is that at the elementary level, our math specialists have worked to refine a uh, test administration protocol so that as we think about five schools, educators and all of those, everybody is administering the assessment in the same way, providing students with the accommodations that they need in order to um, demonstrate their learning because the goal is to get uh, the most accurate data because we're using that data in um, common professional meetings or in staff meetings to make decisions about the tiered supports um, that our students need and require. And so I would just offer that as one example of um, how we're working to improve our data analysis process because again, the data is so important because we're making uh, instructional decisions based on it. Uh, I think there's one other major initiative I'd like to hit on. Um, that we are um, intimately involved in in this moment and uh, we'll be looking to expand in, um, throughout the course of the year, but we are looking as Office of Teaching and Learning to develop a curriculum review cycle. So prior to, in prior years, we may have purchased, you know, AP Stats book because our AP Stats book was out of date mm -hmm. um, and not aligned with the, with the AP exam. Or we, um, came to realize that um, our subscription for social studies was expiring and so because it was expiring we had to buy something else. Mm -hmm. And we, what we are working to do is collect information and data from every level, every department around um, what curriculum is in place, right? So we know what's in place, but when was it purchased? What's the lifespan of that purchase, and what is the alignment as we're doing this to mm -hmm. the curriculum frameworks? Um, and it might sound simple as I'm explaining it, but it's really this this in-depth process that is going to create predictability for teachers, for the community. It's going to create um, some alignment to our our fiscal uh, budgetary sure. um, sure. aspects. Of the, yeah, yeah. Um, and so really this. This process we're developing speaks to how we have, for example, brought Open Syed in the middle school. There was every middle school teacher came together and provided input. We use different data sources like Curate and um, Ed Reports to that evaluate high quality curriculum resources. We bring different vendors in to talk to teachers. Teachers do some um, processing around visioning and um, 
Dr. Frazier actually just led a whole literacy committee last year, which I think you could speak to that process. And we're trying to, I'll, I'll turn the mic to you in a moment, but I think what we're trying to do is, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, when you want to um, state, like, we want a, a, a concrete plan that's published, that's codified. codified. Thank you. That's mm -hmm. what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. um, Comprehensive unit, not overdone. You still want to make a smart decision based upon all the inputs available right. with the right stakeholders, which certainly the central office and then the teachers who are actually going to be implementing. Right. 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 And so I just would yeah. invite you to sure. speak uh, to that. Any curriculum review is a huge commitment. It's a commitment to the community who invests in it. It's a commitment in, the, in some cases to the grant provider, in this case it's the state, to, to make a good and quality decision on behalf of the kids. And so that takes time to bring the right information to bear. It takes time to collect the data that you need on what the needs of the students are. And so a curriculum review cycle is really important to us making a, a commitment to the kids that for a, a long period of time they're going to receive the highest quality materials, the highest quality instruction based on their needs. And that's where that assessment piece comes in as well. Um, in the case of the literacy um, adoption, we've been fortunate enough to adopt over a five, a truly a five-year cycle, um, and so our curriculum review process took took the better part of last year. We had over 30 educators and administrators um, come together to do that review. Um, we dove into uh, five original products of core programs. Uh, we narrowed it down to three. The committee used sample materials and a variety of inventories to really put, put this curriculum through the ringer to mm -hmm. see what meets right. their needs. Yep. Um, and then we adopted, and right now we're calling it year zero because it really is. Our so teachers are learning how to year. do it. Um, but the idea and intent is before we get to year five, we're once again in that collection stage of collecting that evidence, bringing people together, looking at the needs of the community, the needs of the students, and the needs of um, you know where the future setting for kids so that we're putting the best curriculum in front of them. Um, and so the process we went through was thoughtful, but we also want to acknowledge the fact that it shouldn't stop with this year and we're constantly needing to, to move to the next stage. Mm -hmm. I just would build off of that big picture too. When we think about forecasting our budget and when you start to think about curriculum materials, yes. when um, it, this department's work and starting to set that out in, in a planned way allows us to be able to forecast what we need for materials and what sure. we need to ask for, whether it's our operating budget, we're always pursuing grant opportunities, but also through capital requests as well. Mm -hmm. And um, the final thing I would mention um, around that is we, for example, in literacy, we have not, we have not made a major purchase in literacy materials since 2005. Yeah, so I think, I think that's, that's um, an example of you know, wanting, I know having been around a while, mm -hmm. there's always been a want and a need, but I yeah. think you need to get people buying in and behind a process. People need to feel a part of it. It needs to meet our criteria for being a research-based, high-quality instructional material, and then we need to be able to fund it. And the last piece I'll say here, Steve, because I always look for a pitch in this, <laughs> is I'm going to bring back, bring us all back to last year. Um, we had requested through capital, there wasn't a ton of capital funding, right. and we were able to get approved for one year of materials, which I believe would cost approximately 300 grand. 
Uh, 300 grand to? Right around there. Okay. So for one year. And think about that as an investment on our end. And then through some, some real work through this department and Tim to work with the vendors, but then also apply for grant materials. When we were able to invest 500000 it that, that number goes to f a five-year commitment. Right. So that goes from three hundred grand a year to a hundred grand a year, yeah. simply by thinking ahead, utilizing every resource, leveraging grants, working with um, through the capital process, and I think that's just one snapshot into the work that this department's doing to long-range plan and to try to utilize resources. And I think uh, I just would point that out as this is the goal. The goal mm -hmm. is to for all of us. Everybody wants to have a snapshot into the future and know that we're planning ahead. And we're trying to make the best decisions we can today to set us up for tomorrow for our kids. Right. And I think having the experience in reporting for the number of years that I have, one of the other factors hasn't been explicitly discussed, I think, but you can clarify if I'm on the right path or not. But the other input to this is also DESI in their curriculum changes. And I recall uh, social studies curriculum change, and then they made the math change would lend you to do the math program. I don't recall that they had changed the literacy piece. So you were focused on addressing the other immediate needs, and thereby literacy just sat further and further behind because of resources, time, and effort elsewhere. But now you're building into the process. You're going to look at across the board at all the curriculum going forward. So whether DESE makes a change or not, you're doing the assessment saying, oh, it's time, we need to, or it's time, but we can afford to use the same one because we're OK. Right. And, and also, just to paint another layer of context, although there was a major purchase and investment in 2005, throughout those years, what ends up happening is by level, teachers, leaders, mm -hmm. curriculum leaders, administrators all work together to adapt to the change. So we've always met the standards. We just right. have had to do that each year annually or look at when there's a curriculum change. People work really hard to keep up with that. Right. But it's, um, it's through the work of folks that are in the classroom, in the school, working mm -hmm. to, de to determine what are the needs and where do we need to, to move forward. But it's done definitely at a, at a school level or, in a, or a level-based decision. Right. Yeah. It is also the kind of the software versus hardware. And in the before days, you had books. Yeah. <laughs> and books almost went outdated as soon as they get published. Yeah. Um, now you're dealing with software and licensing, and it's the licensing pieces that at least allow a better update you know, more timely of the info as it goes forward. Right, right. Yeah, and, and there is an immense cost to curriculum, and I think we are um, very much aware of that. And I would just say, as an office of teaching, and I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think through the grants just in the past, I think, two or three years, we've written grants to um, fully uh, fund open science at the middle school, professional learning, and the curriculum resources. We have some replenishables that we have to um, mm -hmm. put into our operating budget. ST Math at the elementary school for both professional learning and, and you please chime in if I'm going to miss any. We have uh, work coming with Project Lead the Way at, at the middle school. We have some work with Investigating History. We have had support with mm -hmm. both the math and literacy curriculum implementations at the pre-K-5 pre level. Am I missing? Uh, we have a grant for genocide education genocide and education. that mandate. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah so, yeah, so I think we're always actively looking and writing mm -hmm. for other, you know, financial inputs yeah. <laughs> to support. I, just on that budget and the grant aspect, too, coincidentally, it'll probably come out after the Finance Committee meeting on December 13th, but you clearly had, it, 
there was a town page that listed the grant opportunities that the town has gotten. It was a, I think it was a 10-year history on the school side as well. To your point, yeah, you're getting a bunch of grants on a regular basis. Respectfully, in terms of the total impact to the total budget, it, it's a small piece of the pie. It's an important piece to augment the work that you're changing and implementing, et cetera. But it, it's, grants are not going to solve our budget issue. Right? I think it's the bottom line. Right. 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 Unfortunately. <laughs> However, I will say that um, the grants that we've received have helped to develop partnerships with organizations. And an example being the 1A Foundation is one organization that we have a partnership with. And they are the um, providers for uh, open uh, site at the middle level, ST Math for Project Lead the Way. So it's um, by establishing connections with um, these grant providers and these mm -hmm. funding sources, and then leveraging those relationships and having those um, uh, people see the impact of the work that's happening here in Franklin and how invested, say, our teachers, our middle school science teachers are in Open Syed. Um, it is so rewarding when we see an email pop up in our email box where it's another community that says, hey, can we know that you're um, implementing ST Math? Can we um, send a couple of teachers to come and see what that looks like? Or um, when our curriculum partners at uh, Open Syed say, you know, you've got some really great teachers doing really great things in your classrooms. Uh, could we set up some time for them to talk to, mm -hmm. um, you know, other um, teachers in other districts? So I think it's, um, you know, yes, we'd like more funding to come out of these grant opportunities, but it's trying to leverage the relationships um, to get as much as we can. Yeah, and having the data appropriate at the time, because as you referenced even in one of the, actually maybe in a couple of slides, but I think you went back in that presentation, there was one particular slide can visualize it, but there was a significant change year to year in the test results simply because the cohort had moved through and learned and benefited from the learning from the curriculum. I think it was geometry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another testament to what is the data telling us? How are we working, collaborating with teachers? instructional leaders to utilize that data to make informed decisions. If we have the high quality curriculum resources, how are we making the decisions and what ways to best utilize? Because I think, um, I, I think about Dr. Frazier has used the analogy of, um, you know, these teacher manuals that come with these curriculum resources are like the playbook, right? And we're not going to call every play Every game. I'm not doing a good analogy here, am I? But we're not going to call every play every game. No. Right. No. Circumstances will determine which play you're going to call. Right. 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 To continue that analogy. Right. <laughs> but the important part is, is that we're using all the data available to us to make informed decisions and, and to be able to implement these curriculum in a thoughtful and, and timely, but thoughtful and providing the time and resources um, to make sure it's. I think the other thing that I'll add is that uh, in developing a curriculum review cycle, we have the opportunity to create some alignment by content area across levels. So I think there's tremendous excitement that the way this review cycle is uh, shaping up is that we would have a span of years where we would be able to look at, say, math, for example. Mm -hmm. um, what is the um, pre-K experience? What are our students coming um, to kindergarten with as a result of the investment we've made there? Uh, what are our um, needs in terms of elementary math? Um, how 
Um, do we create opportunities for our elementary level to have conversations with our middle level as we're talking about um, math curriculum resources and then what's the impact um, on all of these investments when our students get to high school and where do our high school um, say math department um, uh, head and teachers pick up from there. Um, so I think there is a excitement um, and an opportunity in the coming years to be able to have some cross-level conversations uh, as a result of the review cycle. Mm -hmm. And one of the as aspects of literacy, clearly while we're English-based, there's also English as a second language. And I believe with uh, at least the Google tool, uh, a lot of the materials can be simply translated automatically. I'm assuming that's a continuation in your evaluation as to how to accommodate that because we do have multiple languages that we have to teach as well or address in those languages. And I think um, this kind of speaks back to when we look at different curriculum options, we're looking at curriculum that are culturally responsive. True. And what we mean by that is that we are honoring different perspectives um, and the diversity within our classes. And so it's not that you know students who speak multiple languages are still learning in English in the classroom. Yes. But when we think about that cul-de-sac, they're also getting support from English language development teachers mm -hmm. um, so that they're acquiring the English language that supports the instruction that's happening in the classroom. So there's different standards. There's speaking, listening, reading, writing, that when we talk about our multilingual learners, that we really focus in on developing those skills um, in English language development. And then I would say, uh, you know, to, to connect back to what Mr. Stark was sharing around as students move pre-K through 12, many of our students are now graduating with a seal by literacy. I was gonna, that, that now has been added, what, three years, I, I think? I believe it's been three years. Uh, Two at years? least, maybe at least three, three years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where, and we've, the high school has benefited, or we've benefited in the district, the high school has had a number of students come through with that literacy right. uh, certificate right. at the end of the year. So. Right. Right, and I just think it's important that we not only honor teaching English-speaking students a right. second language, but that we are honoring that students that are coming to us who are multilingual bring a wide variety yeah. of skills and experiences that we are blessed to learn from and have part mm -hmm. of our community, um, and that we are approaching their English language development just as we are approaching you know, Spanish or French or, you know. Right. walks in the halls. Right, right. Well good, this is, I think has been enlightening for me to clarify at least from my reporting on behalf of the residents, you know, tying together some of the pieces, because clearly you do well in terms of the presentation, these are the numbers, these are the stats, you give some of the highlights, but this I think gives us some of those details behind the scene in terms of the, the curriculum team, uh, its cross uh, partnership approach, mindful of building the data along the way, so you have the data to help inform the decisions, and mindful as well of the budget impacts, because it still costs something to do that. Mm -hmm. um, anything else you want to add at the moment? I just appreciate the time with you. I'm, we're going to come back on at some point right. again, I, I would I, assume. Whenever we need to schedule it, by all means. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but just like appreciate the commitment of the Franklin residents, really, and the support they have um, of the schools, the school committee. Um, yeah, we just I'm honored to kind of be here on this team and, and be doing this work. I think it's valuable work. Uh, I do it on behalf of students. So, yes. Yes. Yeah. Portrait of
graduate has been codified, mm -hmm. and now everything seems to be really just, if not perfectly in line, it's trying to get in line. That's the overall goal through your district improvement plan, the individual school improvement plans, the curriculum pieces on the side. It's, our, it's all starting to tell that story, and that's where the platform that we have through TV and radio, we just want to help you tell the story so that everybody understands what's going on inside the walls. We appreciate what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to help us explain, and we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008 and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.